Have you uh, ever made the mistake of asking somebody what they really think about you? Or what they really think about something you're doing? I say the mistake because sometimes we don't like what they have to say, do we? Sometimes we're not prepared for the answer that they might give. Well, I've, I've probably done this a number of times in my life. Um, but one, one time that sticks out to me was uh, when I was still a, a student at Berklee College of Music. And I had put a jazz quintet together, performing my own, <coughs> excuse me, my own original music. And we'd managed to get funding from the music college to go over to the UK and do a kind of like a mini tour. And so I had this great band of musicians and we had all our airfare was paid for and everything. And I managed to book about six gigs through a booking agent in the UK. And we were going to be there for about 10 days doing this nice string of gigs. One of the gigs we did was at my, my old college town of Leeds. I went to Leeds College of Music. That's where I got my bachelor's. And we were going to be playing at a pub that was the, the local hangout for all the musos and the up-and-coming musicians. This was the place to be if you wanted to kind of cut your chops. It was a jam session. The, the music college professors would hang out there. And it was this, this little pub in Leeds called the Duck and Drake. You've got to love some of the names that the Brits give their pubs. The Duck and Drake. My local, right around the corner from where I grew up, was called the Hare and Hounds. And perhaps one of my favorites was uh, the Slug and Lettuce. Sounds very appealing, doesn't it? You know, Fancy a quick pint at the Slug and Lettuce. How about a salad? No. But they have, this place was the Duck and Drake. And it was a Thursday night. And I was, I was excited for this, for this gig because I knew I was going to see a lot of of my old friends and colleagues and peers who I'd gone to music school with and the new students. And at this point, I'd only been in the States two or three years. So I was still, um, you know, sort of still very much part in the, in the mind of people in the music scene back home. So I was excited, but I was also a little bit nervous because I knew people would be there to be checking me out and seeing, had my playing got better? What was I doing musically now? And so it was a, a mixed feeling as I came to the gig, but I also knew that the, the other musicians in the band were world-class players. They really were. And there was a certain buzz because it was an American band playing in the UK. So it had this extra addition of authenticity, you know, because jazz is an American art form. And so people were curious, and Berkeley had this, has this big reputation as well. So we did the gig, and the gig went great. It was a big success. They loved it. People were raving about it. They wanted an encore. And I came off the gig really on cloud nine, feeling pretty good about myself, pretty bubbly. And I spotted one of my old college music college professors in the crowd. And a, a wonderful musician, a veteran, great drummer. And I went up to him full of, full of bubble and I said, so what do you think? What do you think of the band? And he said, great. He said, really sort of, uh, yeah, exceeded my expectations. I was like, oh, that's great. And I sort of prodded a little bit further. And I said, so what, what did you think about how am I sounding? You, you know, how's my playing sound? You think, you know, am I sounding better? And he said, uh, not really. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> it's like somebody just popped the balloon 
and uh, he must have seen my face kind of go down because he, you know, he's quickly trying to make up ground. He was like, well, I, uh, I mean, you know, some of your harmonies got a little more interesting, and, but of course the damage was done. And now I'm glad he was honest with me. I'm glad he spoke his mind and that he was honest because really we do appreciate that, don't we? Sometimes it's not what, what we want to hear, but there are certain people in our lives that we know if we ask them, they're straight shooters and they're going to speak truth. My wife's one of those people. She doesn't always, she's not very good at candy wrapping things, but she will give you the truth. I realized that as I was looking at this passage, I'd kind of taken a similar approach to Jesus. Not that I'm trying to say I'm, I'm on par with Jesus, but you know, what Jesus has done here is he, first of all, he asks, what, what do people think of me? And then he gets a little bit more personal and asks the disciples, what do you think of me? And so, as we, as we look at this passage from Mark today, this is actually, this is a pivotal moment in Mark's gospel. We're about halfway through Mark's gospel here, and it really is, it's a watershed moment, this passage we just read. Um, you see, because up until this point, Mark's gospel has been building, and there's been a tension growing as Jesus has been working miracles, he's been healing people, he's been casting out demons, he's been calling out the legality of the, the religious elites by challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as he's been doing all this, there's this, been, this underlying question has been brewing. And it's basically, who is this man? Who is Jesus? What's he doing? Why is he here? And so Jesus asks the question here. And he begins, he's walking with his disciples, and he says to them, who do people say I am? And it's almost like Jesus, he's trying to get a sense, he's trying to get a pulse of what people are thinking about everything he's doing. Not that Jesus was insecure, but it's more a case of like, he knows he's been working all these miracles, he's been doing extraordinary things that no normal person could do. And he's curious, how is this affecting people? What do they think about him? Who do they think he is? And the disciples, they, they give some speculative answers, right? And this is a reminder to us that it's actually, it's always easier to say what other, other people think about somebody than what you think about them, isn't it? It's easier to pass the book and say, well, you know, I've heard that various people think this about you. And this is what the disciples do. And they give, they give three examples of who people say Jesus is. The first one is John the Baptist. Now, he's probably familiar to many of us, John the Baptist. He wasn't a Congregationalist, he was a Baptist. Um, but he was, he was a highly respected figure in, uh, in the times there that the Jews were living in because he, he was a, a kind of a lone figure, a prophet, very, and, and basically seen as a holy man. And so some people think, thought that Jesus was the reincarnated John the Baptist. Herod Antipas certainly thought that. He was the man who was responsible for Jesus' beheading in the first place. Others thought that Jesus was Elijah come back. And Elijah was a very, and is a very important prophet in Judaism. Um, he actually has the distinction of being uh, only one of two people who were taken up to heaven before they died. An extraordinary man. Um, 
In 2 Kings, it tells us that he never tasted death, but instead he was taken up in a whirlwind and fiery chariots to be with the Lord. The other person is Enoch, who's found in the book of Genesis in the pre-flood times. But he's, Elijah's an important figure both in Judaism but also in Christianity because it's believed that Elijah has a role to play in the end times before the Lord comes back, that Elijah is going to be a precursor. And this is based on a prophecy uh, made in uh, Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So the Jews had been waiting for Elijah to show up because they knew this would precede the great day of the Lord. And then the third category people put Jesus in. So we've had John the Baptist, Elijah, and then they say one of the prophets. And so essentially what they were doing, they, they were equating Jesus with, or putting him on par with the great legends of the Jewish faith. Uh, the Jews were waiting for the Lord to send another great prophet. You see, because between Malachi, who, like I said, is the last, last book in the Old Testament, there had been a 400-year period where the Lord had been silent. There had been no more prophecies, no more prophets had arisen until Jesus had shown up. And so there was this anticipation of waiting for the Lord to speak again. And Jesus' promise, this reminded them of a prophecy that Moses made in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So there's this anticipation and people are wondering, okay, so maybe Jesus is this long-awaited prophet that we've been expecting. Well, the thing is, they, they'd, all, they'd all made the mistake of giving Jesus honor and respect, but not recognized his true identity and divinity. And actually, not a lot's different today, is it, with a lot of folks? Um, you know, we live in a, in a time and era where uh, we like to get offended and upset about anything and anyone, don't we? And you can pick the most saintly, godly person you can think of, and there will still be somebody who has a problem and an issue with them and will like to bash them on social media, which is so brave. Behind the safety of your screen, an armchair. <laughs> it's a little different when you've got to say those things to somebody's face, isn't it? But, you know, we, we, we love to bash people. You know, I mean, uh, people do it with Mother Teresa. You know, they, they find a reason to dislike her. And, and to criticize the work she did. But you know what? Jesus, I think, is one of those rare exceptions where even if you don't believe anything and you, you don't believe in the teachings of Christianity, um, Jesus is almost universally seen as a good guy. You know, most people, they might not believe he's God, but they might believe, yeah, he probably existed and it sounded like he was a good guy, that he he taught some great things and he was compassionate and he was loving and he, he was rooting for the underdog and the poor and the homeless and all those kind of things. But they don't see him in his true identity as God incarnate, as the saviour of the world. And it's very common in today to have that attitude. Uh, Islam's a great example of this. You know, <clears throat> Jesus is highly, highly respected 
in, in the faith of Islam. In fact, he is considered second only to Muhammad in terms of importance as a prophet. But the difference is they don't see him as Lord and Savior. They don't believe he died on that cross and rose from the dead. So Jesus has asked, who do people say I am? Now he gets a little bit more personal. Now he says, who do you say I am? And he's asking this to, to the twelve. These, these are men who have walked with Jesus very closely. This is the closest thing he has to uh, friends and confidants and people who really know him well. And he asks them directly, who do you say I am? And Peter, never one to, to bite his tongue or think before he speaks, says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Christos in Greek. Messiah in Hebrew. It means the anointed. You are the Messiah. In the Old Testament, this term referred to anyone who was anointed with oil and was chosen for God's work. And there was really three types of folks that were anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings. And they were believed to be anointed to do God's work. This was a holy anointing. But towards the end of the Old Testament times, um, Messiah took on a different meaning, a special meaning of the ideal king, anointed and empowered by God to deliver his people and establish righteousness. So as I said before, this, this is a pivotal moment in the gospel because for the first time in Mark's gospel, we have a, a human being declaring who Jesus truly is. You see, up until this point, we've had God declare it when, he, when Jesus was baptized and he said, this is my son, my beloved, whom, whom I'm well pleased. Even the demons had acknowledged Jesus' identity when they said to him, we know who you are, son of the most high. Why have you come to, to torment us before our time? They'd recognized Jesus for who he was. But up until this point, we actually hadn't had a human being. And Peter right here, when he declares, you are the Christ, is making Jesus' identity known. Now, isn't it interesting that after such a major revelation, I mean, this is a big deal. You know, this is Jesus' identity revealed. Isn't it interesting that Jesus then says, Okay, now don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. I mean, you'd think, he'd be like, yes, Peter, you got it at last. You folks get it. Now go spread the news. Let everybody know. I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Tell everybody. Draw them to us. But instead he says, don't tell anybody. Why would he say that? Why would he do that? Well, here's the reason. Peter and the disciples, they understood to a certain level, that Jesus was the Messiah, but only partially. You see, they had the idea, as did most of the Jewish people, that the Messiah was going to be a king and a leader that would rescue them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire, the Roman oppression, that he's going to be this great leader who would set them free and rule over them. And essentially what they were doing is they were trying to politicize Jesus' role. And had it become open to everybody, there would have been an attempt to, to hijack Jesus' real purpose, which was not 
to lead a revolution the way people thought, but it was to suffer, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead so that he could offer us all salvation. It's interesting that the passage right after this is where Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he must suffer and that he must go to his death. And Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, tries to stop him. And what does Jesus say to him? He says that that classic phrase we all know, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he's saying to Peter, right now you are not doing the will of my father, you're doing the work of the enemy by trying to take me away from my path, which is one of suffering. So had Jesus made it common knowledge the people will have tried to derail and hijack Jesus' true purpose. Now Peter declares, you are the Christ. And there's a parallel passage of this in the Gospel of Mark, uh, sorry, Gospel of Matthew. And we learn a little bit more there that Peter got this information not from his own understanding, but it was divine revelation from God the Father that gave him this knowledge. In Matthew 16, 17, it says this. Jesus says to Simon, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, that's another name for Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you through flesh and blood, but through my Father in heaven. That's a good reminder to us that sometimes there are things that we can only know through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. There are some things, some mysteries in our life, in our faith, that cannot be revealed by how much study we do, how much Bible prep we do, how much prayer we do. Sometimes it is a divine revelation from God. You cannot hear if you do not listen. You cannot hear if you do not listen. And you cannot hear and you cannot listen if you don't make time for silence for the Lord to speak to you. And you cannot obey if you do not pray. Make space for the Lord to speak to you in your busy lives. So I want to throw a little bit of a 180 on you right now. Because we've been talking about who is Jesus? What's Jesus' true identity? And actually what this should do at a deeper level is lead us to another question. And it's this question... Who am I? And where does my identity lie? Who are you? What's your real identity? I think it's one of the biggest questions we ask ourselves in life, isn't it? Who am I? What am I here for? What's the purpose of life? What is the meaning to anything I do? Who am I? And these two questions, the question of who is Jesus and who am I, they're inseparably connected. They're interwined. And this is because without knowing Jesus, you can never fully know yourself. Without knowing Jesus, you can never fully know yourself. Why is that? Well, it's because our DNA has his imprint on it because we were made in his image. We were created to know Jesus, to commune with him, to worship him, to make him the reason we live, move, and have our being. Jesus is the reason for everything. He's the reason you and I exist at all, because nothing can exist without Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives meaning and purpose to our lives. And without knowing him, your life will feel incomplete. 
It will feel lacking in purpose. It will feel lacking in hope. You want to know why so many people are hopeless in the world today? Why so many people are lacking purpose and meaning? It's because they don't know Jesus. So who are you? Who is each and every one of you? Who am I? You are the beloved of God. Do you realize that? Each and every one of you, you are the beloved. I want you to hear those words washing right over you now. Say them to yourselves. I am the beloved. I am his Those are the words that the Father, God the Father said to Jesus as he was being baptized in the river Jordan. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is why knowing Jesus is so crucial to knowing who you are. See, when we know Jesus and we acknowledge his lordship in our life, then the Father acknowledges our sonship and daughtership in his life and we become his beloved Because we love Jesus and he loves Jesus, we become the Father's beloved. It's only then that you can understand how truly a a precious and priceless gift each and every one of you is. G.A. Chesterton said, There is the great lesson of beauty and the beast, that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. Do you realize that you are loved? You are loved by the Father. And therefore you are lovable. Each and every one of you. And I know there are some of you who might feel that you are unlovable. But that is a lie. You are loved deeply. The problem is that we let lies define who we are. We let whispers creep in, don't we? Uh, Henry Nguyen, the renowned Dutch Catholic priest, theologian, and writer, he saw that there were three main traps that we can fall into when asking the question, who am I? Three main traps. And the first one is, we can say, I am what I do. So we base our identity and who we are on our achievements, on our job titles, on our exam grades, whatever it is. But when one of those things fail we start to get depressed. There are many students I encounter who put this ridiculous pressure on themselves to get straight A's. And if they get a B or an A minus, they're crushed. It's like the worst thing in the world. I got an A minus. My life is over. No, it's not. It's just a grade. Life will go on. The reason you're letting it crush you is because you have put your identity in saying I am what I do the second trap is to say I am what other people say about me you ever fallen into that one constantly worried about what people think and say about you this I believe is a particularly vulnerable spot for pastors I'll be quite honest with you I'm a human being and I want you to like me I want you to think I'm doing a good job I want your respect and aberration. Of course I do. But you know what? I cannot put my identity there. 
I cannot be worried about upsetting one of you by something I preach or something I say. I cannot stay in that place. He has to be my rock and the one who I'm trying to please. And actually, if I'm really doing that, I probably will offend some of you. Because the message of the cross is an offense. The third mistake is, we say, I am what I have. I am what I have. For example, I'm an Englishman with a good education, good health, I've got a beautiful wife, two wonderful healthy children, all by the grace of God. But should I lose one of those or something else that I value in my life? It's easy to slip into despair and depression and inner darkness, isn't it? Because I've made the mistake of saying, I am what I have. All of those three traps, I am what I do, I am what other people say about me, and I am what I have, those are all traps and lies about where your true identity lies. None of those things define you. Despite what society tells you, not one of those things will be what defines you. What defines you is knowing and declaring who Jesus is in your life. Christos, the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate, our Savior. Declaring who Jesus is is actually a way of declaring who you are. So in conclusion, who do people say I am? Who do people say you are? We are the beloved of God because we have declared Jesus to be the Messiah the saviour of the world. If you're having trouble discovering who you are and what's your purpose in life, maybe you're even questioning the meaning of life, then I say get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. How do you get to know Jesus? You invite him into your life. You ask to spend time with him. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That's where we learn about who Jesus is. Spend time studying those words. Those are books I never get tired of reading, those Gospels. Because every time I read them, the Holy Spirit shows something new, highlights something different. And that's because it's a living, breathing, inspired book. Get to know Jesus. And in answering the question, who is Jesus, you answer the question, who am I? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, just like you revealed to Peter supernaturally, who you are. Lord, I pray that you would make that a revelation in people's hearts this morning. I pray that your truth shines through, shines brightly through. Cuts through all the the junk that is in our soul, Lord. All the places where we resist you. Lord, I pray would you push past that and reveal that truth to us that life is found in you. We are defined by who you are. And I ask, Lord, that we would, we would live our lives in a way that acknowledges you are the defining factor in our life. Help us to see that truth, Lord. Help us to not give in and to the lies and the whispers that say, no, it's not about Jesus, it's about your job, or it's about your grades, or it's about your reputation, it's about what other people think about you. Lord, help us to break through those lies. To realize that none of that 
is important. It's only you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. And we declare this morning, Lord, that you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And we give you thanks, Lord, that you came. That you did what we couldn't on that cross. Lord, that you opened the gates of eternity by what you did on that cross. And we thank you this morning and every day going forth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.